What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Final Four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Um, and Rod, first off, um, let me just apologize to the listeners. Um, we did the post game of the Eastern Michigan, but I unfortunately lost the audio to that. Um, so we're just we'll do maybe an abbreviated version of that gamer and then get into the uh Loyola uh game as the preview. Um again, sorry sorry about that to everyone. Um so Rod that Michigan State comes out of this one eighty three to fifty nine versus Eastern. Um a lot of good things to take away from this. A lot of things um they did well. What um what was your take on this game overall? I think I think they played a pretty good first half. Second half was maybe not as strong. They they ended up pushing it out in the latter stages um, to uh, a five point margin in the second half. I believe they were up nineteen. They're either up eighteen or nineteen at halftime, mm-hmm. and ended up winning by twenty four. Um, but you know the game got as close as sixteen. And MSU it it looked like early in the second half there was a, a sequence where they got it out 27, and I believe they had possession to perhaps make it 29 or 30, and it looked like they were really going to blow it wide open, and then instead it went the other direction and tightened up a little bit. Never, obviously, they were never threatened, but um, Mm -hmm. Izzo did not seem particularly thrilled in his postgame comments, and I I think that's a good sign because he acknowledged the things that went well, but at the same time, harped on the fact that, you know, there are still issues and this is a team that's a work in progress. They are, you know, they have not arrived. They're not, um, I'm sure some of our listeners, probably many of them have gotten a chance in the last few days to see Purdue play where they beat North Carolina and then Villanova. That's a team that is a finished product right now or sure looks that way. I'd Mm -hmm. hate to see them if they continue to get better because (laughs) it's, it's lights out for everybody at that point. But Michigan <laughs> State is not where Purdue is. You know, they're, yeah. that's a team that has brought everybody back from last year of consequence. They've added one guy uh, who's playing very well, Caleb First. And they're just they're a cohesive team. They're a cohesive group. You see it when you watch them play. Michigan State is not there yet, and for good reason. Uh, we're still, you know, even with some key guys that are returnees, we've got some of those returning players in different roles. We have other guys who are new to the team in key positions. So, you know, I mean, truthfully, if you think about it, is there anybody, the only two guys I can think of who are probably in exactly the same spot, more or less, as they were last year in terms of their role, what's asked of them, would be at the four, Joey Hauser and Malik Hall. And, and even there, with MSU playing Malik on the wing part of the time, I think you could argue he's not in exactly the same role. So it's going to be a work in progress. I think that the positive things, you start with Marcus Bainham and Malik Hall. 
Yeah. Marcus Bainham, 19 points, 12 rebounds, six blocks. Uh, the best game of his MSU career. The first time he's had a double-double, he tied his career high in rebounding, easily set his career high in scoring. Uh, and, and we're saying this game after game after game. He has figured out how to allow for his particular gifts, which in large part have to do with his length, that 7'4 wingspan, to really impact games. And and it's not that simple. You know, that sounds like a simple thing. Well, why couldn't he do that as a freshman? Well, he had to get stronger, mm-hmm. and he had to develop um, a better conditioning, and he just had to learn how to play. He is a markedly different player, even than the guy we saw a year ago at this time. I think he's become pretty damn good pick and roll defender it looks like to me um he's doing a nice job hedging making contact and yet not losing contact with his guy on the roll uh, we've talked about the difference that his wingspan is making not just as a shot blocker but in just taking up so much space in the lane that it's hard for guards to even complete a pass yeah when he's in there um He's just playing, and offensively, he's showing a whole bag of tricks. And he's scoring in different ways. In this game, he hit a face-up jumper where he, he dribbled in from the three-point line and made it into like a 17-, 18-footer and drained it. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some transition buckets, had post-ups, offensive rebound putbacks, you know, scoring in a variety of ways. And again, using his length to his advantage. I mean, we're not he's not the second coming of Bill Walton. He's not a, a a guy you just marvel at the skill set, but he's seven feet tall with a seven four wingspan. He can <laughs> score, you yeah. know, and he's got good touch. He's always had good touch. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, you have to be really, really, really pleased. And the and the other thing, we'll wrap it up with him that I'm very excited about is that was a second straight game where he was above twenty minutes played. I think he had twenty two. Yeah. And that's coming off 25 against Butler. Um, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan State, I think, to be at their best, they need Marcus Bingham playing. You know, I'd like to see 25 minutes a night out of him. I think that's probably about the ceiling for what he can give and, and still be fresh. Uh, but it's encouraging. To see him, and, and one thing when we were just remembered, we recorded our initial version that no longer <laughs> exists. Uh, the thing I liked in this game is that MSU was very frequent in the way they were subbing him in and out. Like it wasn't right. he'd yeah. go for a five-minute stretch and then he'd sit for four, and they were they were going in short bursts. You know, he'd play for two or three minutes, they get him out for a couple, then they get him right back in. You can argue that that might not be optimal in terms of allowing both he and the guys backing him up to establish a rhythm, but at least for the Eastern game, it really worked, and I think there might be something there for Marcus, you know, that he just needs a little blow, and then you can get him back in. I think every minute he's on the floor is a positive for Michigan State, and that's Mm -hmm. not to knock, you know, I think Julius Marble has had a pretty nice start to his season. He's he's rebounded and defended better than I've ever seen him, and he's still able to score. You know, he's a guy who can score in the post. He can hit face-up jumpers. He can do some different things for you. But 
as effective as he's been at times, uh, Marcus Bainham is where this team hits its ceiling in mm. that position. And so the more minutes they can play him there, the better. And then the other guy, if you're talking about individuals, I think that you you need to talk about is Malik Call, who almost had a double-double in his own right, uh, 15 and 9, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, and I thought he played really, really well. Got off to sort of a slow start and then really picked it up. There was one move in particular I was really impressed by. You know, they were they were doing um they were running kind of the weave up mm. top, which goes back to the Judd era, where guards are just handing the ball off up top trying to trying to force switches and, and they were doing that using Malik and Malik faked the handoff and went right to the rim and hit a layup. It was a very smoothly executed play by him and uh and not something that we've seen uh before. And I think in general, he's been, particularly the last couple of games, he's been much more assertive trying to get to the basket, trying to make some things happen. And if that keeps up, boy, that's a that's a big positive for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay. Um, anything else stick out to you in terms of guys? Uh, offensively, that was about, you know, Gabe was okay. Max was okay. Uh, Izzo really liked the way Max Christie and Jade Nakins defended, which is good. Yeah. He didn't Nakins really love anybody. A lot of minutes in this one, 17. He did, and that was because, as, as we forgot to mention here, Joey Hauser sat it out due to a calf issue. Izzo said if it was a Big Ten game, he would have played. Uh, he's expected to play in the upcoming tournament. They, this was really about getting him straight physically mm. uh, for that and for the season beyond that. So that that's um, – that led to kind of a, a domino effect, and part of that result was what you just mentioned. Jaden played 17 minutes, and I thought played pretty well. You saw a little more of the offensive side of what he can do. Uh, hit a three, hit a step-back jumper where he created some space for himself with the dribble. I think it's a matter of time before Jaden Akins is an extremely impactful player. He's just got so much in the way of athletic horsepower and – and skill set, frankly. He is a skilled player. You haven't seen that fully in evidence yet, but it's there, believe me. And we're going to see it before this season's out. So I, I really like the way that's looking. On the team end of things, you know, only 10 turnovers. So at least for one day, they got that problem solved. We'll, we'll see if that continues. That's a, <laughs> a work yeah. in progress. Uh, rebounding, which had been pretty good in the first three games was not great. They basically rebounded to a standstill with Eastern. And, you know, Eastern's got some size and everything, but that's – and you, you didn't have Hauser, but that's not ideal. I think, in particular, you could put the blame for that, I think, on the perimeter guys because Markey and and uh, Malik, between them, had 21 rebounds. And, you know, Julius had four off the bench. I, I want to say that um, – uh, Mati Sissoko yeah, might have had four. four as well. Yeah. yeah, so you can't put it on the fives and the fours. Those guys did their job. It was, you know, Gabe Brown didn't contribute. Max didn't rebound the way he has been. You know, those guys need to be consistently engaged mm-hmm. on the glass, and they really weren't. So if you're looking for a team-wide negative, that would be one. The other one would be shooting. They got great shots. They just didn't hit a lot of them. The three-point shooting 
They've yet to have a game where they were really on. I don't believe they've been plus 40% as a team yet this year in any game. So that's, you know, you're four games in. As a group, Bezo believed, should be a good shooting team. It's disappointing to see them not doing that. Uh, free throw shooting, which had been good the last couple games, uh, dipped a little bit under 70%. Not a major cause for concern, but, you know, not ideal. You want to see that above 70 every time out. Um, and I would, I think that would about cover it. You know, Eastern, I think, is a competitive team, maybe more so than they had a reason to expect. We had, we had talked about it in our first attempt at this, and I think even in the preview. Their, yeah. their three previous games were all played within six-point margins. Uh, they won one of them. They lost the other two. But included in that was a six-point road loss to Indiana. So, you know, Eastern's not a, a team that's been getting run off the floor until Michigan State got to them. Mm. Uh, so I, I think all things considered, they got done what they needed to get done. Yeah, interesting stats on that one. 12 blocks, 12 steals for Michigan State. You it's, don't see that kind of production out of that. You don't, but this is, you know, and I think Gabe had four steals in this game. Yeah. Markey had two. Um, that's the thing about this team. I think I think they're playing pretty sound defense positionally. At the Kansas game was concerning because they gave up so much penetration. Since then, it's been better. Now, the competition's going to go up a level starting Wednesday, uh, so they're going to get tested more thoroughly. We'll see if that holds up. But uh, the thing that's true or has been true thus far is while staying sound, they are much more active and disruptive than we're used to seeing. The shot blocking, we've seen this before. You know, if you go back to the 17-18 the season with Jaron Jackson leading the parade, Michigan yeah. State was one of the best shot blocking teams in the nation. So we have seen that before. But Michigan State has never been a program that's emphasized steals. And I, I don't feel like this team is gambling to do that. I think they've just got guys that are maybe a little more active with their hands in the passing lanes. And and at the same time, you know, I mentioned Gabe had four, Markey had two. Maybe that's a sign of Michigan State's length playing mm-hmm. a role, you know, Maybe. But it's it's been it's been fun to watch so far, and we'll hope that it continues. Yeah, because it seems like those steals are coming for the most part off of uh, letting them get around the end and just kind of funneling them into Bingham, and then you got Gabe's hands flying, Bingham's hands flying, and they tend to boot it around it right kind of in the middle of the paint a lot. It seems. Yeah, yeah. But now you know again, there, there's you know you're you're you have to. You have to scale this to some extent based on the opposition. You know, the Butler game, Butler is uncharacteristically coughing the ball up a lot. And I watched some of their game today against Houston, and it was a lot of the same stuff. So, you know, that may be a team that just isn't great in terms of their ability to value the ball. Um, Michigan State may be the beneficiary of that. Um, you know, we'll see about Eastern. Eastern hadn't been particularly turnover happy, but they had a horrendous game with turnovers against MSU. I think they were above yeah. twenty. Yeah, twenty three. Uh, yeah, so uh so we'll see. You know, if they let's put it this way, leading into the Loyola discussion. Yeah. If they can force Loyola into a bunch of turnovers, then you're you're talking about something because that's a team that 
has so much experience and plays the game very cleanly. Mm-hmm. So that will be interesting to see how they come out of this, you know, this, these next few days in that category. Yeah. So if we move um, into Loyola Chicago, a tough draw for the very first game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause they're, you're you're, they're sitting at four and uh, and they posted double digit wins over uh, Coppin state, Florida, Gulf coast, Chicago state, UIC. Um, so they've been pretty solid. They haven't played anybody. Last were like two. Yeah, I mean they haven't played anybody. That that opposition is not very good. Um, right. But you play the teams on the schedule, and they're they're beating them by double digits. You know the the uh, two of the games, the Florida Gulf Coast game and um, uh, the UIC game, were you know twelve point margins. I think you know they were a little closer, but this is a team that's been winning comfortably and, and look expectations are high and they should be. They got four starters back from a sweet 16 team that took out a vaunted Illinois who, as we're recording this, I'm watching getting the shit kicked out of them by Cincinnati and I'm enjoying it. Uh, guard that's you. A pro- yeah. Guard you. Yeah. That's a program. I'm really, boy, they've done some work this off season, just making themselves really unlikable. But in any event, um, now, the, the guy they lost is a big loss. Cameron Krautwig, you may remember, the guy with the mustache, their yeah. center, was a really important player. He was at the fo- he was the fulcrum of everything they did. You know, they ran offense through him. Um, he was their leading scorer. He was a top rebounder. He was a playmaker. I mean, he really did it all. So it's not as if that's a nothing loss. But you're talking about a bunch of guys – that are back that have been part of a lot of wins have played a lot of basketball, a lot of basketball together. And that's an ideal scenario really for a new coach. And that's Drew Valentine. Of course, uh, I'm sure almost all of our listeners know full well who he is. Son of former Spartan Carlton Valentine, brother of Spartan all time. Great Denzel. Uh, Drew wasn't quite an MSU level of player. He's very good. Lansing Sexton, but he wasn't quite an MSU level. He went to Oakland, had a very good career there, and uh, then he went into coaching. And he started out as a grad assistant at Michigan State for a couple of years while Denzel was on the team. Mm-hmm. And followed that up by moving to his alma mater at Oakland. He was an assistant for Greg Campy for two years, and pretty quickly moved to be an assistant with Porter Moser at Loyola. And his timing could not have been better. He was there for four years as an assistant. And so he got to be on the staff that went to the final four. And then last year went to the sweet 16. So he's been, and then you add in, he was a grad assistant on the MSU staff that went to the final four in 2015. So Mm -hmm. he's been to a couple final fours and a sweet 16 already as a coach uh, before he's hit his 30th birthday. He's 29. He's the youngest head coach in D1. Oh, and, that's crazy. And this is a big deal. It's a big deal for Michigan State fans. It should be because I know we've talked about this before here, but you know the Michigan State, the Michigan State situation. We don't know when Tom is aligned it up. Nobody does. I, I suspect, based on what I've seen out of him, that he doesn't seem to be looking like a guy who's anywhere close to the finish line. But you, you also never know. Mm-hmm. So 
it would be a good thing for the Michigan State pipeline of guys associated with Izzo to be strong because I think we can surmise whomever the next coach is almost certainly is going to be a guy that Tom Izzo not only endorses but probably has the lion's share of selecting, mm-hmm. <laughs> of responsibility for selecting, you know. And it just so happens that it hasn't really worked out for MSU, former MSU assistants who have taken head coaching jobs elsewhere to develop into obvious successors. I think right now, if it were to happen tomorrow, it would probably be Dwayne Stevens. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a big fan of, of DJs. I think, you know, it's not an accident that so many players talk so fondly about him. He's been great on the recruiting trails for MSU, but he hasn't been a head coach. So I think you want options. And I would think that Drew Valentine is a prime candidate to give Michigan State another option. He didn't play for Izzo, but he coached under him for a couple of years. Mm. His brother played for Izzo. He grew up in Lansing, grew up around the program. His dad is a Spartan, you know. Drew Valentine is as much a part of the lineage as you could be without having played at MSU. I mean, it's that simple. So you want him to succeed if you're an MSU fan. You know, um, Loyola, it's also worth noting, announced, I think it was within the last week, they just recently joined the Missouri Valley. You know, they were in the horizon forever with U of D and, you know, currently Oakland's in that league. Butler used to be in that league. They took the step up to join the Missouri Valley, and they just announced that I believe effective next year they're joining the Atlantic 10. So they are kind of taking almost the Butler path. Um, You know, Butler was once a Horizon League school that is now in the Big East on the backs of their basketball success. Loyola has had not quite that same level, but close enough. They've been able to make these moves. And so, again, that's a big positive because if Drew Valentine – can get it humming and keep it humming at Loyola, he will have done it at a level where it will be an easy sell mm-hmm. if if it turned out that he would be the guy. So I'm rooting for him in every game except this one. <laughs> yeah, and there's some definitely some things to be scared about. They're coming into this one shooting 45% from three, 60% from two. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, they've shot extremely well. There's no two ways about it. And the thing is, if they play 10 guys, like eight of them are legitimate three-point threats. They don't they don't shoot excessively. This is not, you know, a team that's going to put up 33s in this uh, game. They run they run good offense. They look to get good shots and it's not exclusively just bomb happy. But uh when they do take threes, they're very accurate, and it can come from pretty much anybody on the floor. And then when they take twos, they hit those at a good clip as well. So very, very, very efficient team offensively in the early going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not really a, a strong offensive rebounding, and they don't shoot a ton of free throws. Um, but their turnovers is good. Only 14% of their possessions they're turning over. So yeah, they're 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 a a top tier team in that area. You know, it's it's kind of uh, reminiscent. You, you've seen this equation before if you're an MSU fan. You know, uh, 
Wisconsin, Michigan under B-line. It's not exactly the same thing, but strengths and weaknesses play out in a relatively similar fashion. You know, they're just going to execute and execute and execute. They're not going to make mistakes to beat themselves. They're going to get good shots, and they're going to hit a lot of them. They're not going to draw a ton of fouls. They're not that kind of team. They're not a, a team that's going to look to fullback dive to the rim. They don't have, you know, a, a great post-up option to draw fouls. So that's not going to happen. They also don't do a lot in the way of offensive rebounding. And I think in part that's down to their size. This is not a – they're a strong team physically. Like, they've got mature guys, but they're just – they're not a rebound. They're not a team that you look at and think, well, that team should be really effective on the offensive glass. They don't play that style, and they don't really have those kind of players. You know, there's not there's not a Gabe Brown lurking out there or a Marcus Bingham. You know, those guys aren't there. Uh, so what do you, what do they do defensively? They've been very good defending against twos, uh, not yeah. quite against the threes, but they force yeah. turnovers. And they do, which is weird because when I think of what Loyola's been, it's again not a gambling team. They're a very sound team. And and yet they're generating a bunch of turnovers. Now some of that could be a result of the opposition. Now, I'm not quite ready to believe that they're going to be uh, generating mistakes at this level. Uh, I think it's probably mostly opposition based, but we'll find out. Um, really, really good so far against twos, which would would fit kind of their profile, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to gamble a lot. They're going to try to get you to take shots that are just a little bit outside of where you're comfortable taking them. That's going to be their MO. And, uh, and then I think that they've given up some success in terms of threes, both the number they've surrendered, number of attempts, and the percentage. But, again, that might be opposition-based. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, I just mm-hmm. think, when I think of Loyola, the word that keeps coming to my mind is sound. I think they're just really sound at both ends of what they do. They're not going to wow you with athleticism, uh, but they're just going to they're going to play a strong, sound brand of basketball, and they're not going to make a ton of mistakes. You're going to have to beat yep. them. Yep, and their tempo two eleven. Um, Versus MSU's fiftieth. Right, they're not. They're not going to play. This is why I, I I made the comparison to Big Ten programs that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not going to look to run up and down the court. They're not. They're not super super slow, but they're not going to. They're not going to want to play a ninety four foot game with Michigan State. They're going to want to control tempo and make it a game about half court execution. I think that's what we can expect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so if you look at their starters, uh, familiar phrase, Braden Norris, six-foot senior who started his career at Oakland. Um, and he's averaging 9.8 points a game, 48 from the floor, 37 from three, and 86 from the line. And two-thirds of his shots are coming from deep. Yeah, and he shot a little better than that last year and then his first year at Oakland. I, I, I give this kid immense amounts of credit. I saw him play in high school. He was an AAU teammate of Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier on All Ohio Red. He was an Ohio kid. Um, And on that team, his role was pretty simple. It was 
spot up and take open threes. And you could see he was a good shooter, but there are a lot of guys that can play that role at the high school level. You know, he wasn't tall, and I didn't see obvious signs that he could handle playing point guard at a high D1 level. But he was really good from jump at Oakland, and then he transferred up to Loyola and has just continued to play very, very well. He's a real key to their team because he's. this is a team that's got a lot of guys that pass the ball well. One other thing we didn't mention about their style of play, they're assisting on, I think it's about two-thirds of their made field goals. That's a very MSU kind of stat, mm-hmm. you know, traditional MSU stat. And Norris isn't dominating the ball. He's nominally the point guard, but I think he's actually one assist behind the team leader in that category. But I think he's got 18 assists and three turnovers. Yeah, so he's got a great, great ratio going, uh, six to one if you're keeping track. And uh, and that's kind of who he is. But he's one of these guys, you know, if, if you had watched that AAU team, what you saw, and, and there was a reason why Foster Lawyer had Big Ten offers and ended up in Michigan State and why Braden Norris ended up at Oakland. And, and frankly, I thought he had done pretty well getting Oakland involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes, to t- it goes to show you that the story's not over at that point. These guys continue to develop. But if you had looked at it and said, well, which of these guys has proven that despite not being a great athlete and not being very big, they could still find ways to get their shot off and make an impact, everybody would have said Foster Lawyer because he was doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, Braden Norris, again, the only thing he did on that team was basically spot up. You know, Foster Lawyer had the ball in his hands. He yeah. flashed forward a few years, and there's no question that uh, Braden Norris has had the better career. I mean, I don't think it's, you know, shocking anybody to say that. And and he's going to be a load for Michigan State. You know, he's going to be a guy that uh, that they have to account for mm-hmm. because he can definitely hurt you, especially with the three. Uh, and then you got Marquise Kennedy, six one junior. He's averaging seven point eight points a game, um, fifty from the floor, twenty nine from three, and fifty six from the line. Um, very good defender. The one knock on him has been the three point shooting, and mm-hmm. and that number is kind of consistent uh, with what he's done. Uh, to date in his career at Loyola. He's yet to really break through as a deep shooter, but he's an important guy based on the fact that he can do the other things that they like. Primarily, I'm talking about defending. Uh, and then you got Lucas Williamson, 6'4", super senior. Um, he was Missouri Valley Conference Defensive Player of the Year last year, 108 yeah. Points a game, five and a half rebounds, 42, 38, and 70. He's just a winning basketball player. I mean, I really like this guy. Not a not a guy who wows you athletically, but he's 6'4", he's strong, and he just does everything well. You know, good shooter, great defensive player. Um. You know, not a guy who takes a ton of shots, but he takes enough to, to be a threat. And just, yeah, it's just, uh, 
he's a winning basketball player, you know. There's not it's not much more complicated than that. And it's a huge deal that they were able to get uh a guy like him and some other guys to come back for another yeah. year. You know? It's this is why I think Loyola has a real opportunity to have a very, very strong year again following on last year's success is because guys like Williamson opted to come back. And you just you think about the experience that he's had. I mean, this is a guy who was on their Final Four team as a freshman on a Sweet 16 team last year. That's a lot of winning. Mm. And we've seen that at Michigan State over the years, right? Guys who are part of winning scenarios when they're younger, just they learn what it takes. And they learn what the expectation level is. And it, it tends – the success feeds on itself. It's not – it's not an accident that they've had that sustained level of accomplishment because guys learn how to do it at a young age, and then by the time they're veterans like Williamson is, well, they're the leaders. They're the guys who are teaching those lessons as well as producing. So it's a, it's a key to having a sustainably good program for sure. Uh, and then they got Ayer Ugok, uh, six seven senior, 13.5 points a game, um, 66, 78 from three, 63 from the line. Um, but <laughs> yeah, another defensive guy. Yeah, he was second team All Valley defense. So that he's a little bit of a surprise because of the scoring. And he shot the ball very well from two. I think last year he was a 60% shooter from the floor, but the three point shooting is off the charts crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know he's not going to sustain that, but. He has shot reasonably well from out there, just maybe not quite the volume shooting this year. So he's been a very pleasant surprise for them because he's a guy who's earned his minutes prior to this season primarily because of the way he can defend. So now if they're getting scoring from him, that's a that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then down low, Jacob Hudson, 6'10", sophomore. Um, what do we know about him? Well... Limited, you know, he's starting, but it's kind of in name only. Because I think he's only averaging about 11 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, he's a guy they liked a lot. Over the course of last season, he emerged from not playing a ton early to eventually being Krautwick's primary backup at the five. But I, I think the minutes that he's playing indicate – they don't think he's quite ready to be a focal point. He's just a guy in the equation for them. Um, uh, not hugely productive. What's he averaging point six, wise? Somewhere six point yeah. five points a game, fifty-eight percent from the floor. Not bad in eleven minutes of action, but uh, he's not doing a lot as a rebounder yet. I think the minutes played is the tell here that they don't feel like he's quite ready to be the guy. And they've got some other guys in their mix who need to play. Uh, but they're starting him because I think Drew likes, you know, that's a that's very much um, a Tom Izzo type of thing where you like the way your rotation works in mm. a certain fashion, you know. So you might start a guy. I mean, there have been years where Michigan State did this early in Derek Nix's career, right, where they started him, but it wasn't like he was playing 25 minutes a night. You know, they liked the way that the rotation flowed by doing it that way, and I think that's some of what's going on with Hudson. But, you know, the other thing is Loyola doesn't have a ton of size, and 
in this game, if I were Drew Valentine, that is something I would be concerned about, particularly with Marcus Bainham, is how do you combat that? So Hudson may play a little bigger role in this game. We'll have to see. Yeah, and only 44% from the line from him. Yeah. So if he gets too limited, deep. limited attempts, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then so coming off their bench, they got Ryan Schweiger, 6'7", transfer from Princeton. Um, and he didn't play last season, obviously, because of um, – COVID, uh, but he's exploded onto the scene for them. 14.8 points a game in just 18 minutes. Um, grabbing 4.3 rebounds. Yeah, he's their leading scorer, and it, you know, it's interesting. Loyola has two guys in their rotation who are Ivy League players um, who uh, are um, are on this team and didn't play last year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But but Schweiger has just been, this is beyond, you know, he was a good player at Princeton, but the scoring, I think he averaged a little over 10 a game his last year at Princeton, and he's leading Loyola in scoring early on. And doing it, you know, 18 minutes a game is nothing, but it's not starter's minutes. Yeah. So he's really, really taking advantage of his opportunities. But it's, it's a nice, Man, what impresses me in looking at this team, a lot of things impress me, but one of the things that was near the top of the list was that they have very obvious, very effective depth. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a big part of that, but not the end of it. Yep. Uh, and then Tate Hall, 6'6", super senior, um, sort of a part-time starter last year, but is in a reserve role this year, averaging Eight point three points a game, sixty from the floor, sixty-seven from three, and fifty from the line, and, and he leads them in rebounder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, seven a game. You know, again, a, a great piece to have off your bench because he can play a, a couple different positions. He's experienced. He's been a starter. He's played a lot of minutes. He's continuing to play a lot of minutes. Um, and again, the rebounding is a big deal. He's giving them a bit of a physical presence at six-six. Mm-hmm. So again, the depth is impressive here. They got a lot of guys that can play. Uh, and then Chris Knight, six seven grad transfer senior, um, who uh, from the Ivy League as well, Dartmouth, um, averaging seven point five points a game, eighty two percent from the floor, thirty three at the line, uh, in just nine minutes. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because he was actually a little more accomplished than Schweiger as an Ivy League player. He was all Ivy in his last year in that league. And, you know, nine minutes a game, he isn't playing a huge role yet, but he's another guy who's taking advantage of the opportunities he is getting to make an impact, you know? Uh, And then Tom Welch, uh, 6'8", junior, 6.3 points a game, two rebounds, 60 from the floor, 50 from three, 51 or 71 from the line in 12 minutes. Yeah, kind of a stretch big. You know, mm-hmm. uh, six eight, not that big. Uh, he goes about two twenty. So we're not talking about a a guy who's necessarily Big Ten sized, but uh, you know they'll ask him to do a little bit of dirty work and then also hopefully stretch the floor a little bit. That's his role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then St. Thomas, six um, seven freshman, played in all four games so far. Five point three points a game, fifty four from the floor, forty from three, and seventy five from the line. In 11 nice. minutes from him. Yep. Nice start to his career. You know, and again, another guy who not playing a ton of minutes, 
but when he gets out there is making the most of his opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, we just went through five guys who are all finding ways to contribute. And Loyola is not a team that plays at a breakneck speed. So there's maybe a little less of a need for depth on a, on a squad like this than there is a team like Michigan State. But, man, it's a nice luxury to have. Yeah. You know, they've got they've got guys who can really – I mean, Hall is essentially a, a sixth starter, really. And then you add in Schweiger and Knight and Walsh. I mean, these are guys that have proven they can contribute. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really good situation for them. Okay. Um, if we look at the keys, Rod, uh, obviously defend the arc is the number one goal here with them coming in shooting 45%. Yeah, and it's it's not like they're a three-happy team. I mean, they're going to run their offense. They're going to look to execute. And that doesn't mean just tossing up threes. This is a team that will try to, by running virtue of running their offense, will try to generate good shots, and they've been pretty effective in doing it. Mm-hmm. But I do think when a team is shooting that well from three, and it comes from as many places, I mean, you've just gone through the numbers, we're talking about a lot of guys that are north of 40% right now, or at least yeah. at least in the high 30s. Um, that tells you I think that's where you start you know it doesn't mean you can relax when they're inside the arc but I think it has to start in this game with finding ways to limit them from deep to contest and again it's going to be a one through five deal because they've got lineups they can play where everybody one through five is a threat they got a couple Mm -hmm. guys who aren't you know Hudson is probably going to bust a three but most of their guys will. Uh, and so rebounding is the second one because they're they're a pretty good rebounding team themselves. Both both these teams in the top fifty in, in the rebounding categories. Well, they're a good defensive rebounding team, and mm. that's where I think the challenge is. They're not a good offensive rebounding team, but it's not something they emphasize. So I think. The challenge here is that Michigan State has done really well so far as an offensive rebounding team. And Loyola, true to a team with their profile, is pretty good clearing its defensive glass. They tend to end possessions. So which one breaks through? You know, Michigan State has an edge physically, at least in terms of height and athleticism. They have guys like Bainham, like Brown, like Christie, Aikens, who can do some things physically that Loyola probably can't match. But what Loyola has is a very, I'm going to use that word again, sound approach to what they do. And sometimes that can win out, even if you've Mm -hmm. got physically superior guys. And and look, Loyola doesn't have a lot of huge guys from a height perspective, but this is a strong team physically. You look at guys like Williamson and Hall, they're not the biggest guys in the world, but they're strong. They play tough, you know. So this is an area where I think Michigan State has to look to, to find an advantage, but it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then turnovers is the third key. Great job last game. Um, yeah. You know, we mentioned Loyola has, has forced a lot of turnovers, which is not their usual thing. They're not a gambling defense. They're not a pressure defense. So – It'll be interesting to me. I, I don't expect that will change, 
But then the challenge is going to be from Michigan State perspective, all right, how do you handle having to execute possession after possession against a team that's not going to gamble, that's going to make you earn it? Um, MSU has to hold the mistakes down because we know that it's highly likely Loyola's not going to make very many of them themselves. You know, they're just not a turnover-happy team. So we always talk about this, and it it goes in conjunction with what we just discussed in terms of rebounding. It's a a big key is how many chances do you get to score vis-a-vis the other guys. And normally Michigan State feels pretty good that if they're at least even in that area, they're going to win the game because they're going to shoot better than the other team does. I don't know that that's a given in this game. So considering that, you really can't give Loyola an advantage in terms of chances to score. You know? Yeah. Uh, So then Temple is the fourth key. Yeah. This isn't a glacially-paced team. Mm. You know, they're not going to really, really ice it. But they don't play fast. They they want to play in a half-court game. And usually... A team that wants to play that way will have an advantage. You know, it's easier to slow a game down than to speed it up, unless unless you're willing to do things Michigan State doesn't do, like pressing, uh, trapping. Um, so you would expect Loyola is going to probably be able to get the game more in a, in a tempo that they want to play in. But what that means is Michigan State's got to take advantages of the transition opportunities they do have. And I think even if uh, Loyola is successful in not letting them get a ton of those, Michigan State's got to continue doing what I think they've done a nice job of this season all the way along, which is at least getting into their offense quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, not even when you're not on the break, not walking the ball up, getting it into front court and getting into your offense fast. You know, and and taking early shots if they're there. You know, that's another thing. The average length of possession for Michigan State has been pretty low, which is good. That means, you know, you're you're getting shots up fairly quickly. That's another way to kind of increase the number of possessions, even if you're not able to run. And those need to be good shots, but, you know, you get my drift. They've done a good job of getting into early offense. That needs to continue, even if they're not able to get a ton of points on the break. Yeah, and you mentioned the average. They're ninth in the country already er, thus far in average possession length. Right. Yeah, and and that's you know that's not just if you think about it. Yeah, they've done a pretty good job getting in transition, but they haven't been going up and down the floor for forty minutes. Mm-hmm. It's been they get a lot of quick hitters. They get a lot of they get a lot of shots early in the shot clock um, because of good possessions, running good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so the fifth key, Rod, here, this is – they're coming in at 28% from three so far this year. It's got to be hit the three, right? Hit, Yeah. Hit yeah. the, I mean, the three. It's, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it's hard for me to imagine Michigan State being able to win this game if they're not dialed in better than we've seen thus far. I'm not saying they got to hit half of them, but they've got to be more effective than they've been. Mm-hmm. And, man, it it's not for lack of good opportunities. They've been generating great looks. 
and they just haven't gone at the level that you want to see. So that's got to change. You know, we talked about that at the Eastern Michigan game. You know, shooting was not a strength. Yeah. They had opportunities, got good looks, didn't hit enough of them. That has to change, you know. And so you've got Hauser back for this game. He needs to be part of that. Hopefully with resting his calf, we see better results. You know, Gabe and Max have been okay thus far, but they can both be better and need to be better. You know, Tyson Walker, we just aren't seeing attempt very many shots. He's got to be part of that equation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Malik Hall has actually shot reasonably well. Yeah. We need him to continue doing that. So these are all these are all things that are, are part of the equation. It's got to be a team-wide thing. But I, I think it's going to be difficult for Michigan State to win games against opponents at this level if they're not shooting better than we've seen. Again, I, I don't think that means 50%, but, you know, high 30s, mid-30s at least, yeah, you need that. 28% isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Malik Hall is actually leading the team. Uh, well, Tyson's one for two. <laughs> Malik Hall's one okay. for ten. <laughs> right. And that's great. I mean, that represents improvement on his part, but, you know, we know where the bread is buttered. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brown and, and Max Christie have to be big-time shooting weapons. They have to be. Yeah. You know, and they've gotten great looks. They just aren't going at the clip you want. You know, Joey Hauser, got to be better than he's been. Yes. Yeah. Well, um Anything like in terms of uh, going into a tournament like this, Rod? That do you tweak the lineups at all, or, or do you think well, about resting people a little bit more in the beginning? Or I think I think you make a good point. You know, three games, three days. You you want to be careful with how, and, and maybe that will be another reason why we see a little more of what I talked about in the Eastern game with Marcus, where mm-hmm. they're getting him in and out quickly. You know, getting him some rest, getting him quick blows, but but still finding ways to keep his minutes up and allowing him to impact the game effectively that way. Um, those would all be those would all be things that they could and they could do that with a lot of guys. You know, they'll they've done some of that actually with the point guards when they haven't had fouls be an issue as they were for Tyson Walker in the Eastern game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where they they shuffle those guys in and out pretty quickly and pretty frequently. Uh, we may see that, and uh-huh. and it's you know this is not a team I don't think thus far where you're super concerned about that because we haven't seen anybody really you know I don't know if we've had anybody play like a 35 minute game yet mm-hmm. I'd have to look at the Kansas game to be sure of that but I don't think it's happened so I think that they may tweak it a little but their normal rotations are probably okay I think the challenge here is just and I believe. Uh, I don't know if we touched on it. We may have touched on it in the episode that we lost. Um, but, uh, you know, this is an interesting tournament. I know Baylor's ranked highly, but that's a very different team than the national uh-huh. championship team. I don't think they've demonstrated yet definitively that they're a top 10 level team. So I'm not quite ready to buy them as that. But they're still very good. And and that's the thing about this tournament. I don't think there's a super team. There isn't one where you look at it and say, well, that's an obvious Final Four group. There's no Gonzaga, no Purdue, no UCLA. 
Uh-huh. But everybody's pretty solid. You know, you've got Auburn. That's a good SEC team that probably has the NCAA tournament as a realistic goal. UConn, yeah. I believe, is in the top 25 currently. Um, so, you know, Dan Hurley slowly but steadily has rebuilt that thing, and I think they believe they're really ready to win this year. Uh, Loyola, obviously, we, we've talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there just aren't – you looked up and down this field, and there just aren't weak links. So what that means is that all three games, no matter how it goes, are going to provide tests. You know, you go to Maui, okay, you've usually got Chaminade and that thing, and, and that means at least somebody's going to get some soft-touch games. Well, that doesn't exist in this field. Mm. The good news is that represents real opportunities to get quality wins. The bad yeah. news is you're going to get tested every night. So from an MSU perspective, I think they are fully capable of winning this thing. I do think that's possible. But I also think, you know, they you don't want to think about it, but, you know, they, they're going to have to play well to not come out of here with three losses. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I'm down on Michigan State. It's just reflective of the quality of opposition. If they're not playing well for three days, that could happen. I, from my perspective, I think a two-and-one tournament would be successful. Not uh, ideal, because you can you can think seriously about winning the thing. I believe that. But, uh, you know, in terms of where you would feel pretty good about what you, what you did over those three days, I think two and one, you'd probably feel okay at this mm-hmm. stage of the season. You know, because it will mean you got two good wins. Yeah. Mean, that's just the nature of this field. You'd have two high major or high major type wins that you'd you know to encompass a team like Loyola um, that you would feel pretty positively about, and that probably are going to look pretty good on your resume come March. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I, I slot in. But honestly, I mean, Michigan State is getting a test right out of the chute. I hope in going through this, we've managed to impart to people that Loyola is for real. I mean, this is this is going to be a challenging game, and if Michigan State can find a way to get a win, that is a very, very good win. Yeah. Okay. Well, this one's uh, kicks off Wednesday at noon. Um, so ESPN. Uh, any you know final thoughts on this one, Rob? No, I think we we've covered it. It's going to be a challenge. I expect a, a highly competitive game. I expect a game that provides a physical test. And uh, hopefully Michigan State can execute well enough to get the win. Okay. Well, until next time, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way, offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.